District of Conservation is sponsored by the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, better known as CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thanks for listening to the program. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Rounding out February with another roundup that is not only region-specific to the D.C. area, there are a lot of federal I would say overlaps and themes here. I'm largely today going to be focusing on two public lands bills that I find interesting. I'm also going to talk about the uptick in visits to National Park Service lands across 2023, of which I was a participant in. And then we're going to round it out closer to home with oyster recovery here in the Chesapeake Bay. There are two federal public lands bills that I want to draw your attention to. The first one is from former Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, and the other is more Utah-specific, introduced by Senator Mike Lee and newly elected Representative Celeste Malloy. The first bill, which is more bipartisan in nature, is called the Public Land and Public Hands Act. So alongside former Secretary Zinke, Congressman Zinke now, he is having support from someone I normally would not praise or agree with, but Representative Gabe Vasquez, he's actually been pretty antagonistic on the monuments front. We reported on him and also Senator Heinrich actually working behind the scenes to undermine kind of local input against the proposed or soon to be proposed Members Peaks National Monument in the area. So don't normally agree with him, but maybe in this rare instance, I would not find myself wholly opposed to him. But this bill, as it's presented, would essentially protect 30 million acres of Bureau of Land Management land, U.S. Forest Service land that is not national park lands. And Zinke never sold a tract of land when he was Interior Secretary, neither did Secretary Bernhardt, despite the wish casting by preservationist environmentalists, or especially when it came under their... Antiquities Act review, which actually did not rid of monuments. It just severely shrunk them to a more reasonable size. That's what a lot of people missed out. Patagonia, REI, all these really loud alarmist groups really were pushing misinformation about this Antiquities Act review. And so Secretary Zinke, then again, Congressman Zinke now, 
has always been an advocate to not sell or transfer public lands. And I would largely agree with that sentiment. And so according to the press release, the goal of the Public Lands and Public Hands Act is to forbid the sale or transfer of most public lands managed by the Department of Interior and U.S. Forest Service, except under specific conditions and where required under previous laws. The bill would also require congressional approval for disposals of publicly accessible land tracks over 300 acres and for public land tracks over five acres if accessible via a public waterway. This provision alone would protect public access to nearly 30 million acres of public lands depended upon by outdoorsmen of all types across Montana and largely those out west. And he is quoted as saying, in Montana, public lands are our way of life. It's not just Yellowstone and Glacier. It's also BLM and Forest Service areas where a kid fills their first tag. A lake in the Beartooths is the perfect picnic spot and the trail down the road that helps you clear your head after a long day of work, he said. Public lands must remain public, and the federal government has a responsibility to manage and ensure access on those lands. As secretary, I prioritized opening up landlocked parcels of public lands and expanding hunting and fishing opportunities on federal lands. The Public Lands and Public Hands Act is the next step in ensuring our public lands are publicly accessible for future generations. And that's essentially what it is. But it's bipartisan in nature. And as I was reading that, it also tags on to this other bill, I want to draw your attention to this Utah bill. And I don't fully agree with Senator Lee in terms of the wholesale transfer or what people believe his view to be the wholesale transfer of federal lands to state lands or to privatize them wholly. I don't even think he believes fully in privatizing them, but there are some people on the right who hold this view. Like I said, not Senator Lee himself, but he does believe in at least state transference Um, I don't think this is a smart position to fully transfer public lands to private hands because it invites things like natural asset companies, China, adversary countries to then bid on leases and to bid on lands that are, you know, available for the public taking when they are disposed of by Congress. And that would be very, very problematic. But that doesn't mean I excuse federal mismanagement from BLM, DOI, Fish and Wildlife Service, U.S. Forest Service, because there's been so much mismanagement. And we're seeing, as I've documented here on the podcast, there's been a lot of land closures. They may not be overt, but they're there. Like the conditioning of opening of new hunting and fishing opportunities on national wildlife refuges on lead phaseouts, that is an attack on public lands. Closing over 60 million acres of hunting opportunities for caribou and other ungulates for non-residents. That is an attack on public lands. And just the failure to adhere to this principle of no net loss is also something else. So when I read this, I want it kind of goes off of what Secretary Zinke said in terms of the exceptions to sometimes where uh, sometimes there is an issuance or transference of federal lands to state lands. And this is a Utah bill that wants to clarify that or to rather return federally owned land in Utah to the state. And it's called the Utah State Parks Adjustment Act. So just have an open mind. Let's read it together. Um, It would transfer the titles of several parcels of federally owned land in and around Antelope Island, Fremont Indian, and Wasatch Mountain State Parks to the state of Utah, consolidating ownership and improving land management. Utah State Parks are well managed and cared for. I am proud to sponsor this bill alongside Senator Lee, which would remove ineffective bureaucratic management over these small parcels of land and return them to local control, said Representative Malloy. 
Utahns don't sit back and let Washington tell us how to manage land we've lived on for over a century, said Senator Lee. By transferring federally owned land to Utah for inclusion in our state parks, we ensure efficient management while removing unnecessary bureaucratic hurdles. I'm grateful to Representative Celeste Malloy for leading the charge in the House of Representatives, and I'm eager to push this forward so that Utahns can take charge of their backyard. And the Deseret News explained this more. This is why I think it's interesting and why public land supporters shouldn't be so up in arms necessarily about this proposal. Um, They report that the federal parcels in question include six areas around Antelope State Park, northwest of Salt Lake City. I've been there. Beautiful place. They have huge mosquitoes and lots of buffalo and cool other critters. The Deseret article goes on to say that another parcel sits adjacent to Fremont State Park and then the Wasatch Mountains. Last year, Senator Lee in the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee had talked about Utah state parks and national parks. And in July 2023, they invited the assistant director for the National Conservation Lands and Community Partnerships under Bureau of Land Management, Thomas Heinlein, saying that the agency, which is run by the Biden administration, actually supports this bill. Heinlein said that the federal areas around these parks are inherently difficult to manage by the BLM due to location, small size, and lack of access. The BLM regularly transfers public lands to local governments and nonprofits for a variety of reasons, the official added. So sometimes there is a little bit of transference from the federal government to state parks, and it gets bipartisan support. And so in these areas, which are more isolated, I don't think it's a problem. And in cases, sometimes the state is much better than the federal government. You heard it directly from this representative from Biden's BLM. Relatedly to public lands, let's talk about park visits. So today is actually the Grand Canyon's 105th birthday in terms of being formally incorporated into the national park system. And the national park system, unsurprisingly, had a surge in visitors last year. Now, if you are confused by this mentioning of 400 national parks, there are over 400 sites managed by the National Park Service. Not every site under NPS is what we consider a national park. There are truly, by definition, and what is understood to be national parks, there's only 63 that can be considered a national park. So it's funny that the service calls these national parks But it's actually, you know, scenic byways and highways. It's also national parks. It could be hybrids between national parks and national monuments like Craters of the Moon. And so they need to clarify a little bit what a national park is. But according to the press release on February 22nd, 2024, visitation grew on America's public land, specifically those managed by the National Park Service. And they note that in their press release that lesser well-known parks and sites are receiving more attention. So they say that across the 400 properties, 325.5 million recreation visits occurred last year. NPS reports that this is a 4% increase or increase of 13 million visitors over 2022. Um, In addition to that, they note that more people are visiting these sites during the off season, especially in the spring and fall. And they note that there was increased visitation to 20 parks, many of them lesser known, that broke visitation records in 2023. Of those 20 sites include the following, Carl Sandburg Home Historic Site, Congaree National Park, which is actually near 
where our POMA conference, our annual meeting is going to be held in South Carolina. I may visit that when I'm there in May. Dry Tortugas National Park. I've always wanted to go there. That's in Florida and near the Florida Keys. Glacier Bay National Park and Preserve. That is in southeastern Alaska. I couldn't go there, unfortunately. I've been to or drove through Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. That's close to Horseshoe Bend. Hagerman Fossil Beds National Monument. Haven't been there. I don't know if I've been to John Muir National Historic Site. I haven't been to Joshua Tree National Park. There's one in Hawaii that is listed as seeing increased visitation. Kiwina National Historic Park. I forget if that's in Michigan because I believe that that is one of the native tribes up there. Klondike Gold Rush National Historic Park. Lincoln Memorial. That's here in Washington, D.C. Hard not to miss that or not visit that. You should. Anytime you come here into the area. Longfellow House, Washington's headquarters, National Historic Site. Marsh Billings, Rockefeller National Historic Park. Medgar and Merrill Evers Home National Memorial. Minidoka National Historic Site. We reported about how the Lava Ridge Wind Project would threaten this Japanese-American internment camp remembrance site. There's also Mojave National Preserve, New River Gorge National Park and Preserve, like Craters of the Moon, kind of the similar designation there. I have not been to New River Gorge yet. I want to. Nez Pierce National Historic Park and 96 National Historic Site. So there's a lot of different categorizations of National Park Service lands. Again, not everything is a national park, even though it is managed by the National Park Service. Again, 63 are official national parks, and there are all these other related, like I said, scenic byways, historic sites, national monuments, or national parks and preserves. Lots of different labels here. I'm going to be visiting a couple, I think, scenic byways and highways, and maybe Mount Rainier when I do some filming in the Pacific Northwest in a couple weeks, if the snow has melted by that time. So I will be anticipating visiting some national parks. I hope you get out there too and see some. And if you haven't gone to the Grand Canyon, like I said, that's celebrating its birthday today, you got to hit up that park. And if you didn't know, the national park to have received the most visitors, unsurprisingly, is Great Smoky Mountain National Park, which I finally paid a visit to last year. One of my favorite trips I've made The Great Smoky Mountains are beautiful, highly recommend, and it's pretty accessible to a lot of us on the East Coast. So find your park, and then also check out the related National Park Service sites. They're great to visit too. And if you have a National Park Pass and you're planning to hit up all these parks, that Park Pass is going to save you a lot of money. It's about $85, including taxes and shipping and handling. And if you're visiting dozens of parks, factoring it all in, you're going to be saving a lot of money, not paying $25 or $30 uh, per entry fee for each of these parks, wherever they do charge. But most national parks do charge you, I think, $30 per vehicle. And same with some of these adjacent sites like the parks and preserves. Let's come a little closer to home for this final topic of our roundup today here on the Chesapeake Bay. Oysters are a keystone species, and they have been making a very good recovery here from all reports that I've seen. And even though I love eating shellfish and I go fishing, oysters are not really my cup of tea. I don't know why, like even oysters, Rockefellers, I just can't stomach eating them. Maybe I've read too many reports of people imbibing and eating raw oysters and then contracting flesh eating disease. And perhaps that's a very extremist take to have on oysters, but that's the one kind of seafood item I will not eat just for good measure. I don't want to, you know, 
try it once and then have an adverse effect. So it's okay if I leave out oysters, but I can still tout them and their benefits and their recovery, even though I personally will not ingest them or eat them. But according to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation uh, and their new report, Hope on the Half Shell, they have four key takeaways. So I'll let you read this. They recommend that they have to, we have to, as conservationists or lawmakers or rule makers have to accelerate the pace and scale of large-scale oyster restoration projects. The second point is expanding restoration and aquaculture to grow economic opportunities in coastal communities. This is a no-brainer. These type of endeavors do support a lot of coastal communities. Watermen are like a dying breed, dying, you know, industry, and it would be good to bolster that, hopefully by private means, ideally, but I know I think Chesapeake Bay Foundation really wants federal funding more so for enhancing economic opportunities. But I think naturally this can occur. They also say that oysters can help protect against sea level rise and storm surge and should be integrated into climate change solutions. I think anyone would agree with that. And you don't have to necessarily tag it on to climate change. It's just, you know, natural based solutions. Pretty simple. You don't have to really tack it on to climate. They always do that, unfortunately, but it it just makes sense even without factoring in climate to do this. Like you need structure, you need these keystone species to germinate and proliferate. It's pretty common sense. And the fourth recommendation is modernizing fishery management and ensuring transparency and accountability is critical for the oyster population's long-term recovery. If you're curious about this oyster recovery report and recommendations to enhance and bolster their numbers, I will include in the show notes all of these different items. And even from our previous topics, we always include everything in the show notes. But that is a roundup for this week, the last week of February. I hope you have a great leap day. And if you are interested, I hope you can share and amplify the upcoming one-year anniversary of the Independent Women's Forum Center for Energy and Conservation that is being celebrated this Wednesday, February 28th. You're going to see me post on social media, but check that out. We have a great newsletter. I am really proud of my team. I have several fellows and some fellow staff members who have been helping me across all these different areas relating to energy, house appliances, conservation, all of the above. So check out iwf.org slash CEC, not only to learn about what our center does, but just to keep up with the latest news that you may not hear here on the podcast or through CFACT, my work with CFACT, but keeping you all abreast with that there. So I wanted to plug that in as we conclude this roundup for the week, and I'll catch you guys in March. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people, and I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners, and we have just hit 1,000 followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.